You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. We are talking about a very interesting topic, one that can often show up in the media today, and that's the topic of gender. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What about homosexual relationships? What about marriage? How does all this work together? We had to talk about that. Ivor, Count's Dr. Sam Andreas, I've probably butchered his name. He can tell me the correct pronunciation when he comes back on. But he is a senior pastor of Faith Reformed Presbyterian Church in Quarryville, Pennsylvania, serving a congregation in what he affectionately calls the Shire. His previous pastoral work put gender issues front and center. He was pastor for ten and a half years of a village church in Greenwich Village, New York City is a founder of Higher Ground, originally called GAME, gender-affirming ministry endeavor, a New York City ministry of Christian discipleship serving men and women with unwanted same-sex attraction. He went on to do a doctoral dissertation on emotional intimacy in Christian marriage in light of gender distinction, a qualitative study of men with a history of same-sex attraction in unions who are now in long-time marriages to Christian women. He has counseled scores of engaged and married couples as well as church members in a relationship with one another. He draws on extensive formal education as teaching. He holds a BS in geology and geophysics with a minor in biblical studies from Yale University, 1984, where he was awarded a Yale Geological Hammer Award for thesis research in sonic wave measurement through granite. He earned an MDiv in pastoral ministry from Reformed Theological Seminary, 2001, as well as an MS in computer science from New York University, Courant Institute, 1997, building on historical geography study at Jerusalem University College, 2008 and 2014. In Israel, he obtained a demon in urban mission and ministry at Covenant Theological Seminary, 2013. In 2015, he wrote a book, Engendered, which we're talking about today, to fill the need he saw to speak about gender as God's gift. It is described on, on the book page of his website, but most valuable is how he has brought this education to four decades of serious study of the Bible. And that's his website, of course. Sam grew up with three older sisters who have constantly challenged him in his understanding of what it means for him to be a boy. He has been married for 26 years to his wife, Mary Kay, whom he describes as the truest woman he knows, and about whom he says he could not do what he does. Together, they have raised three sons and one daughter, and now have a daughter-in-law. Submission to the work of Christ has always been an important part of Sam's Christian walk. As a member of a local church since becoming a Christian at 17 years old, he has bonded to brothers and sisters in the family of God. Being a Presbyterian minister means ministering relationships. It requires working closely with his session, the church's board of elders, which affords Sam some of the most meaningful friendships of his life. Sharing the shepherding committee of his presbytery, 
a collective of local ministers and elders, and New York also afforded him important people linking lessons. His favorite Bible verse is Luke 23:43, Jesus' words to a thief on the cross. Sam hears through these words for the Lord's amazing forgiveness of Sam's own sins. So, um, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate your having me on. So, how, how is the last name pronounced? Well, it's not, uh, it's Greek, so it's hard. Hmm. But uh, I think the best way to remember it is that it's just like the man's name, Andre, mm. and then the first two syllables of the word Odyssey. Mm. So, Andreatis. Got it. Yeah, Dr. Andreatis, it's great to have you on here. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about how you got to be doing what you're doing in case my audience doesn't know who you are? Sure, sure. Well, I'm, a, I'm just a pastor, and uh, I... There are a lot of pastors who are better pastors than me, I know, but I've been in the unique situation of uh, ministering for 10 years in Greenwich Village, New York City, where mm -hmm. gender issues were front and center uh, uh, all the time from the very beginning. And so it, it, it forced me to, if I was really going to help people, to think mm -hmm. about these things and uh, study about these things. Um, so that was one thread of uh, how I came to uh, be kind of focused on these issues of gender, uh, whether it was guys who were struggling with same-sex attraction who were in that area or uh, young women who were struggling with what the Bible says about gender or uh, people just in having trouble in their relationships. It was always, uh, gender was always front and center. Mm -hmm. And when I uh, came time for me to do a doctorate, um, I focused my research, I did a qualitative study on, on men who had been in uh, same-sex relationships or have same-sex desires, but now have been married to women uh, in Christian marriages for a long time. So they were stable uh, Christian marriages, and I wanted to find out from them what difference gender made really in relationship. And I was... I was just very impressed with uh, them, and I learned a lot just from talking to them. <laughs> so these these kinds of things came together, and of course, the culture, the need in the culture, and I think the lack in the body of Christ in, in really addressing these things well, that all kind of drove me to write the book, which uh, has led to different speaking engagements, all, all while still being a pastor. I'm a pastor now in Pennsylvania, in Quarryville, Pennsylvania, mm. and uh, so I do... I do the sort of uh, gender ministry on the side. Mm -hmm. now, as a pastor, this is something that I was just thinking about as I was getting ready to interview your thought. There are so many people out there who are going into ministry and being pastors and such, and generally all they seem to have many times is just a strong passion. They don't really inform themselves on the Bible or any major issue be it theological or historical or things of that sort. I mean, do you think it, it really matters as a pastor that you have some strong information or background that you bring to the pulpit? Oh, yes, I think uh, absolutely. I know that uh, different pastors have different gifts and different mm. strengths, and uh, that's, part of the, that's part of the game. It's part of what Christ uses in his church. But as much as possible, I think, uh, you know, seminary or Bible college is very important for the training mm -hmm. of, of pastors. to Because when you get out there, you just have to confront a lot of different 
situations in people's lives and a lot of different decisions and running a church. And if you don't have some kind of strong foundation, you're liable to just kind of get, you know, knocked over and blown away or something. Mm-hmm. So I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, your book is in gender, about gender and how men and women relate to one another and things of that sort and such. And let me say, it's an excellent book. I and mean, one of the things I really enjoyed also was so many chapters open with a story. And before too long, I realized, this is a story from the Bible. You just tell it in your own words. And I kind of made a game with myself of trying to figure out if I could uh, figure out what story it was before it became patently obvious. And, and I, I did succeed. Too. What's that? I, I did succeed. So. Oh, great. Good. Well, that was, uh, that was the point. Mm. Good, good. Thank you. Yeah, but, you know, if we're talking about gender, I mean, Dr. Andreatis, don't you uh, know that what, we are, what everyone knows today growing up in college, gender is a social construct? Mm. Yes. Well, you know, gender is not an easy issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you talk about what it means, um, it's, it's, it's an important question to try to answer. And I find that there are several errors that people can make when they think Mm -hmm. about gender, Nick. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first error that they could do make is, is equating gender with sexual characteristics. And they think, well, gender is just physical differences. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the problem with that is that, uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in what we call secondary sexual characteristics, that men might tend to be aggressive, but not always. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have aggressive women, or men, you know, women tr- are supposed to be nurturing, but sometimes you have men who are, who are quite nurturing. So if, if you do that, if you say, well, gender is just physical uh, differences, then it results in many errors. You end up exceeding, um, excluding people by your expectations or looking mm-hmm. down on them. Mm-hmm. Whereas a woman who excels in martial arts is not less of a woman, any less than a man with an eye for decorating or who can't grow a mustache is less of a man. Mm-hmm. And it's essential for the Church of Jesus Christ to realize this and embrace the exceptional mm-hmm. uh, for the church's benefits as, as well as the, as the individual. So the congregant you know, once asked me, should I be worried about my friend because uh, my friend spends all of her free time on football, and she's a woman. And I should I be worried about that? I said no. That has nothing to do with whether she's a woman or not. Uh, Another error of confusing sexual differences with gender is seeing sexual differences as as a guide to behavior. And uh, you know that's what guys often think is well. You know they could be excused from using porn because they're just more sexual. Uh, and that comes of not really understanding gender. And go, the, go, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying that the, there's a third er, a third problem in, in in equating gender with sexual characteristics, and mm-hmm. that's that the medical procedures have gotten quite good. So if you have the money and the inclination, you can start to believe you can just change your gender. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's on the one side. What you brought up is kind of the other error that people can uh, fall into in thinking about gender, and that is it's just a social construct. Mm-hmm. And if you start thinking that, it's it's kind of the opposite error, because then, then men and women become interchangeable. 
and uh, you lose out in relationship and and people start to feel like they can just remake themselves in ways that are harmful mm -hmm. and that leads all these these problems you start to think about it's not an easy issue but that starts to lead to people thinking well gender just doesn't exist and i've uh, talked to pastors who say well why do we even need to talk about gender we shouldn't even use the word or the concept mm -hmm. and my, my contention is if you do that, you lose something very important about being made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. What gender really is, is part and parcel of being made in God's image and being made for relationship. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I like the first part there of what you were saying, because it, it, it kind of illustrates what goes on at our household here. Every uh -huh. year at the start when Super Bowl Sunday comes around, my wife is pretty much glued to the set, wanting to watch <laughs> everything going on, and me, I'm sitting right there, I've got my book, and I'm reading, and I put it down for commercials, because I just do not care about the game, <laughs> and it's like, I, I don't understand a man who who doesn't like football, and like, it makes no sense to me. The only sport I can really tolerate at all is if we go to see, like, a the Braves play baseball here or something, but I have no interest whatsoever. Yeah, now see, you're pretty secure as, yeah. as a guy, mm -hmm. so it, it may not be as big a problem for you as just sort of something funny. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, they would start to wonder, well, maybe, maybe I'm not really a man because I don't mm -hmm. like football. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, maybe a woman might start to feel I'm not really a, a, a woman because I like video games or, or something like that. And Which we both do. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it, it's important for the body of Christ to recognize this is not what makes a man. This is not what uh, defines womanliness mm -hmm. um, so that we can, we can treat people well and people don't feel excluded. And we can even look at primary sexual characteristics to really set for sure more, can we? Because then someone could go and get the surgery and such done and say, well, see, now based on that, I, you have to say I'm a man or a woman now, and I wasn't before, right? Yep, yep, that's uh, that's what can happen. And uh, it's, it's God has given us our bodies to teach us what we are. Mm -hmm. The bodies uh, in, in Christianity are very important, um, but that's not... That they're they're kind of um, ways of, of God teaching us the calling that we should have in relationship. But gender itself is really about our relationships. Sometimes we talk about someone's gender and about someone's sex, and it's hard to tell if there's any real difference between those two. Is there? Yes, because um, if you go back to Genesis chapter one. Mm -hmm. When God says, I'm going to create the, the crown of my creation, I'm going to create people who bear my image, thing a creation that bears my image, that's when he says, I'm going to make them male and female. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create them gendered. And if you look back before that, you know, there, there are five days of God creating uh, lower life forms. Mm -hmm. And there was sexual difference there. You know, there's sexual difference in the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. There's even sexual difference in the flowers, you know, in, mm -hmm. in uh, the plant kingdom. Right. But when he gets to humanity, 
that's when the first time uh, this male and female is brought up. That's when gender is created. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yes, there's a difference. The sexual difference is a platform, but being made in God's image is what makes us gendered. Mm-hmm. So what is gender and what is sex? In case I'm not, and with sex, of course, I'm not talking about reaction. I'm talking about the nature. What, what are each of them, yeah. would you say? So, so sex and se- sexual difference is part of our dusty nature. You know, he made us from the dust, as it says in Genesis 2. We made Adam from the dust, and that's, he, he, that's part of what we share with the animals. Um, it's part of being made uh, of the earth. It's it's something. It's the platform that points toward what he was really going to do when he made us in his image, which is gender. But it's it's something that it has to do with our physical differences. Mm-hmm. First, the primary the primary difference of uh, genitalia, but also in secondary sexual characteristics that I mentioned before. And men and women are, uh, I, I should say, you know. The sexual differences, male and female, are very different uh, in terms of height and skin thickness and frequency of sleepwalking. There's always a difference, but there's always overlap uh, mm-hmm. between the two. Mm-hmm. When when we talk about gender, oh, I use the terms masculine and feminine or man and woman. Um, we're talking about something different. We're talking about what it means to be made in God's image. That is. We're made to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. We're made to be lovers of other people. And that is, that's the unique thing that he's given us uh, to, be, to be man and woman. So when we're talking about gender, we're talking about relationship. Mm-hmm. So as I think about this with my own marriage, I mean, you don't have to be married too long before you start suddenly realizing the vast difference that exists between a man and a woman, that uh-huh. Allie and I can approach the same thing in completely different ways. Her thinking can make no sense to me. Mine can make no sense to her. But what is it, Vince? I mean, since you've talked about how some men can be less aggressive, some women more aggressive, some men might like interior decorating, some women might like football, things like that. What is it, then that makes a man a man and a woman a woman? Yes. Well, it's not a, a set of essential traits, mm-hmm. you know, that you can uh, take off the shelf like a perfume bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's a call to godliness in a certain style with the traits we're given. Mm-hmm. We, we find out what it is to be a man in relationship, first with other men, but then especially in an intergendered relationship with close women in our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And we find out what it is to be a woman in relationship also first with other women and then especially in relationship with with men in our lives and so i i go through a kind of process in the book you recall uh part two is all about the asymmetries to finally reach a definition uh that a man uh is somebody who can i'll put it just summarize who can cheerfully and with joy lay down his life for the close women in his life, mm-hmm. and, uh, a woman is someone who, with cheerfully and with joy, can can promote the close men in her life. Mm-hmm. Now, something about that, though, it's that uh, you know about how we learn how to be a man or woman first off by interacting with those of the same sex around us, and then 
by a close relationship with someone of a different sex. Well, I've got friends who are single. I'm sure you do too. Does that mean that my male friends who are single can never really find out what it means to be a man? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's actually a question I get um, a lot. Um, A lot of people who are single who read my book uh, come up with that question and they actually complain about it. They say, why aren't you writing more about single people? And they're probably right. It's probably Mm. a shortcoming in the book. Mm. Uh, But I do devote a chapter to that um, in in part three of the book where I I try to talk about singles experience. And, you know, the Bible is very clear, I think, that you don't, not everybody is called to be married. Mm -hmm. There are some people, and and even those of us who are called to be married, are single for a lot of our lives. Uh, mm-hmm. We're single for the first part of our lives, and then uh, usually we're single near the end of our lives. Um, you know, in my church, I pastor, a, the age range, you know, goes from zero to in 95. Um, I have all different age groups. I love it about my church, but I, you know, it's very clearly you realize when you get up in those upper decades, you're very often single again. Mm-hmm. So even if we are married, we spend a lot of our lives single. So what does that mean? And I, I think it's important to assert that we, in a certain way, individually, we reflect the image of God. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, there's a special way that we reflect the image of God in relationships. So not all of us are called to be married but or, or married at all times, but we're all called to be in intergendered relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, um, a, a single person doesn't miss out on on emotional intimacy. Isn't is by God's design mm-hmm. um, because God gives us other relationships to be in. He gives us relationships first in our family, mm-hmm. uh, where gender comes into play and emotional intimacy comes into play, and then also He gives us relationships in our church. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why, you know, you have New Testament writers like Peter and Paul really uh, imitating Jesus and talking about the church as a family. Mm-hmm. Because the relationships are meant to be uh, close in a church. And, and so you have also opportunities to be in relationship across the genders, even if you're not, even if you're not married. Yeah. And then there's a third way, I think, that... Um, that is is kind of a unique experience for for uh, single Christians, and that is in their relationship with God. There's something I think very special that Paul gets at when he's writing mm-hmm. in, in Corinthians, First Corinthians seven. There's yeah. something special about a single's relationship with God, and uh, there's a special grace there that I I find that single folks have. So they're not incomplete in any way, or or somehow uh, you know. Uh, less people because they're not married. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I think when we talk about how that church can be a community for singles and such, we also have to be very careful because one of the things we can often think that means is, well, you come in and we got these singles groups and I'm sure you'll find someone good for you there and such, as if kind of like singleness is a disease and we need to get you with someone. <laughs> That's right. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I've learned that whenever I preach a sermon series on marriage, mm-hmm. I'm also, I also preach a sermon on singleness. 
Mm-hmm. Never preach about marriage without talking about singleness as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you've also about, you know, done a lot of research on homosexuals. I think one of my favorite stories in the book, and I'm going to have to paraphrase, is you uh, go into a new church where you're considering you for a pastor, and mm-hmm. you had a, a song being sung about how Jesus loves us as we are. And then this lady stands up and says, Yes, uh, I've got a question. Christian here, you've said that Jesus loves us just as we are in such a way. I'm a lesbian. Is your church going to love me just as I am? Mm. I mean, isn't it wonderful to start off with those easy questions when you're... <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was, uh, that was a tough one. And I'll tell you, after she said that, you could hear a pin drop <laughs> because you had a few hundred people in the room and everybody looked at me and was like, what, what is he going to say to her? You know, <laughs> yeah. What is this guy going to say? So I was really on the spot there. And, and you knew it could be on YouTube any moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was about, yeah, that was about, what, uh, oh, maybe uh, uh, 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. it, wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as certain that whatever you're going to say is going to end up on YouTube, but mm-hmm. it was still pretty public. Mm-hmm. So what did you say? Well, I realized, uh, first of all, that it wasn't a yes or no question. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, someone asks that, they're asking something very deep. And so I did what, uh, the only thing I knew how to do, which is start talking about relationships. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how I knew that I had been in a lot of relationships that had good in them. So that this woman, if she was in a lesbian relationship, there's probably some benefits to her in that. There's probably right. some good things about that. Mm-hmm. Because it's a relationship, and mm-hmm. all relationships relationships are created by God. That's what it means. Even if we're not carrying them out right, and even if we're not doing them right, they're going to be some benefit to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you just look at people who don't have any relationships, and you start to realize they start to become inhuman. They start to become weird um, if you don't have any relationships at all. So, uh, because of God's common grace. He allows us to, to have relationships, even ones that aren't best for us, to have some good for us in them. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, I look back on the relationships that I've had, especially romantic relationships, and there have been good parts about them. But I've also found that I, when I became a Christian, I really needed to repent of the way that I was conducting my romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Because I thought it should be done one way, and God really thought it should be done another way, and God was right. Of course. Big, big surprise there. <laughs> so I had to change. I had to repent of the way I was I was treating, even though I wasn't in same-sex relationships. I was treating women the wrong way. And I had to repent of that and, and learn to conduct my relationships and enter into the relationships that God had for me God's way. Mm-hmm. So I told this uh, lovely young woman, I said, if you were to be um, in my church, you'd be part of a group of people who were busy repenting about their relationships and learning to do it God's way. Uh, and if that's what um, you're up for, then you would, uh, you would do well in my church. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're not willing to put your relationships on the table and say to God, say to Jesus Christ, whatever you want, um, you're the Lord, I'm not, then you're not really coming to the Lord of the universe. Even if you say you are and you sing the song, 
you're not really coming to Jesus as Lord. Um, and so that doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. So, so how did that answer go over? Well, she said, thank you. And she was very respectful and sat down. Uh, and she, I actually did get the job there. And a lot of people uh, cited that answer. Mm-hmm. for the reason why they were approving of, of me becoming a pastor. So I did become a pastor of that church. And mm-hmm. uh, I was, uh, you know, I reached out to her. She she was in the church for a little while, but eventually decided that uh, this this relationship was more important to her than being in the church. So sadly, she left. Um, mm-hmm. I had other stories like that that ended, ended differently uh, with, with people eventually coming around to God's way, what I would say is God's way, but mm-hmm. not in her case, unfortunately. Do you think that the people, and I know since your research dealt with men, with the whole does she matter quiz, that men in a homosexual relationship, you know, saying, I mean, you're saying there's something good for them, but do you think they're really missing something? Well, yes. Um, when, um, as, as we've talked about, I did this uh, research on men uh, who had been in, in same-sex relationships and now had chosen intergendered marriage. And I talked to them about it. And with the, you know, to a man, they all thought just what you said, that there was, there was something missing, that it, the, their previous relationships were kind of uh, like facsimiles of uh, of what God really had for them, mm. uh, there were ways in which they they weren't growing up in that relationship. They weren't challenged spiritually. They weren't they weren't growing in intimacy. And, and in part three of the book, I explain why, um, with all the different answers they had, uh, mm. that that helped me understand why intergendered relationships actually fostered intimacy in the relationship. Mm-hmm. In a way that same-sex relationships, or what I call monogendered relationships, couldn't and didn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's uh, when God tells us to do something, it's always for our benefit, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what these guys were telling me. That's what they said. Well, you've talked about getting rid of unwanted same-sex attractions for men and such, but this has been something very controversial. We've heard things like a reparative therapy. I think it's called doesn't really work and even exodus international has closed its doors and you meet so hear about so many people who say they've they've changed they've changed i mean years later they fall right back into the same homosexual lifestyle and such again and uh is it really possible in light of all this uh well it was certainly for the men that i've worked with and not just the men in the study that I, I um, spoke with, but also I've, uh, because we were in Greenwich Village, we began a ministry to those who with unwanted same-sex attraction, who wanted to follow Christ and found a conflict between their uh, sexual desires and, and their discipleship in Christ. Mm-hmm. And we started this ministry because just nobody else seemed to be doing anything, and it's been going on for a while now. It's still going on, even though I'm not in New York. Um, mm-hmm. The ministry is still going on. It's called Higher Ground, and you can you can uh, look it up. And uh, for those who, who are interested in that ministry or need that ministry, um, it's just Higher Ground and NYC in uh, uh, in your web browser, and you can find this ministry. 
and they have regular meetings and you know i'm i'm a part i i continue to be involved in that ministry and i'll tell you that you know there have been marriages that have come out of that with children <laughs> so obviously there is sex going on mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so i i found that it certainly is possible under the right situations for uh there to be uh a change in a, in a healthy sexual relationship. Uh, homosexuality is kind of a novel category. Yeah. Uh, there's always been uh, people who had same-sex attraction, always been same-sex relationships, and even even very committed ones in the past. If you think that this is something new that's come into history, you just need to read Plato. Mm-hmm. Plato has plenty about uh, you know having relationships, loving same-sex relationships. So there's nothing new about this. There's nothing that is, is new to discover. But what's new these days is people identifying with those desires and saying, this is who I am and it can never be anything different. All you uh, need to do is read Plato's Symposium and well, blow your myth of it and blow your right. water. Yep. That's right. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So I, I find as a pastor, I, I owe it to people to say, you know, you don't have to stay this way. There are, there are ways. Um, it's not that the desires ever go away. Mm-hmm. You know, sexual desire is very strong. Yeah. And it's, it's just that under the right circumstances, people find other ways to be aroused. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like saying to a guy who experiences lust before he's married. It's like saying, wow, you know, lust is just as bad uh, being being uh, lusting after someone who's not my wife. God says is absolutely wrong also. So it's it's not as if that's some kind of other category. It's, mm-hmm. it's desires that are not building our marriage. Mm-hmm. And when you get married, anybody knows, any guy knows that when you get married, it's not like lust disappears. Yep. Uh, it's still something to fight against. But what you do find is that uh, you can grow in love and intimacy with your wife mm. and have the, and overcome those desires. Yeah, Dr. Robert Gagnon's even once asked a question about like if spiritual lust counted as adultery and such. And there's a lady asked me, he said, lady, if spiritual lust counts as adultery, your husband's an adulterer of the day you marry him. <laughs> <laughs> He's committing adultery on his wedding day. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, I I find that these guys are sincere. I don't think yeah. that they're living a lie or or something like that when when uh, they have same sex attraction but still get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what I found. At the same time, do you think that we should uh, make promises to people that they can fully overcome and be able to live like this? I mean, will there be like different degrees of success and such? Yeah, I think that's true. But again, we get healed in relationship. Mm-hmm. Gender is about relationship. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I had a, a guy who was dating a girl once, and he had same-sex attraction, He and they came in to talk to me. He, he wisely told her about it. I think, you know, I usually advise guys that when it starts to get serious, if you're dating a girl and you have uh, same-sex attraction, you need to tell her because there is an added obstacle um, in the marriage and just we need to be upfront whenever we're in a dating relationship about what, what obstacles are there mm-hmm. just so that we're being considerate of people um, and mm-hmm. not trying to hide something. So he was honest with her appropriately, 
And they came in to talk to me about it. And it was like, should we go any further with this? And I, I just want to tell you, if I had given them a line, oh, you know, you can't change and there is no possibility here. If I had told them that, you know, they would have broken it off. But instead, what I said is, you know, what you have is an, an obstacle to your marriage, sort of like going into a marriage with, with college debt. Okay, you want to be upfront with your spouse that, you know, I have these college loans that are not paid off and I'm bringing that into the marriage. Um, you, you, have a, you have a greater financial obstacle in that case where the couple has to deal with that and say, well, is it worth it to me to pursue this? Yes, it's worth it. You're worth it to me. <laughs> Even though you're bringing all this debt into the marriage, well, likewise, you have to say, okay, you're going to have an added, um, you're going to have an added uh, obstacle. But what what I've found with many men and women is that emotional intimacy, as that's fostered, it actually it can overcome this obstacle, mm-hmm. and that you can learn to give each other sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not the easiest place to go for sexual pleasure for a man, it's still possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, because I told them that, uh, they they had enough confidence to move forward. And you know, if I could, I wish I could show you them today. They're they're very happy together, and uh, they got married and they're doing very well. Mm-hmm. So what would have happened if I gave them that line? Oh, you can't possibly change. That's I, I just can't do that as a pastor. Yeah, my thinking is probably the media loves to highlight all the stories of failure that take place instead and ignore all the success stories that are still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. There are times when like you know, there was another couple who he was uh, he had same sex attraction. And the woman was very patient, said she's willing to go through with this, but she had certain. Um, kind of standards that he was wisely, I thought wise standards to say, you can adhere to this during the dating relationship, then we'll move on. And he couldn't. And so they, she wisely at a certain point, you know, broke it off. And Mm -hmm. so that would be something that didn't work. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so yeah, I don't want to say, Oh, it's, it's in every case, everyone will be happy, but you know, there's a lot of things going on. Our sexuality is, is very very deep and complex, but I've seen a lot of redemption stories that yeah. God has done. Yeah, no matter what field you're in, in counseling or psychology or psychiatry, and like that, there is nothing that has a one hundred percent success track record. Right, that's true. Yeah, you know, I I do think so. It's <clears throat> important to talk about, <clears throat> especially for people who aren't married, because a lot of times you don't really understand this before you get married. I mean, I've Talk to guys who are getting ready to get married, and I say, "So, uh, you you do love her, right?" I say, "Yeah, I do." I say, "So, well, I want to tell you two things here. First off, yes, you indeed do. Second off, you don't have a clue yet, because <laughs> it's not until you get married and you get to experience intimacy with her you really learn what it means to love that woman." But uh, in those are wise words. Yeah, yeah. In our marriage, ours is a very unique one. My wife and I both have Aspergers. And that's kind of how we got to know each other and such. And uh, what I tell people is uh, this Monday we'll be, we've been married seven years together. And, seven years. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. 
And what I tell people is that it something that's usually known about us on the spectrum is we have very, very odd diets many times. And so I was often very adamant about not trying new things and such. Well, along comes Ari. She marries me. I was nearly 30 when I married her. She was about to turn 20. And... Before too long, my parents find out that, lo and behold, my world has changed suddenly. And <laughs> the thing is, Ari didn't even really have to try. I mean, there are some things she's still working with me on on changing, some things I am more adamant on, and it's taking work. But really, it was just that I've got this woman in my life, and I've got a very good thing with her, and I want to be the man for her, so I'm going to stand up and do what I need to do. Mm. So, have you changed your diet? Yes. Yes. Uh, we we can go to Mexican restaurants together now, for instance. I used to have pizza for dinner every night. And, yes, believe it or not, I'm actually less than 120 pounds doing that still. And uh, I spoke to my former roommate like a year or so after we got married and said, yeah, we, we no longer keep pizza in the freezer. Like, wow. And yeah. we can go out to other restaurants. I can get seafood now, which... Gives me a whole lot more added in. So, yes, yes, she she brought change. And I've been terrified of water on our honeymoon. We went to Ocean Isle Beach. I got out into the ocean about waist high, and she got me out in five-foot deep water in my swimming pool. I mean, the whole time I still thought she was trying to kill me somewhere. But <laughs> she got me out there. Such, and it, 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 there, there was still a whole lot of work to do. I'm still terrified of water, but... It's just there's something unique about relationship that changes a man. Yes, well, that's very that's a great uh, kind of recounting of, of mm-hmm. the way that it happens. Mm-hmm. Because uh, even though you might have a lot of similarities in your personalities, because mm-hmm. you're both are Aspergers. Yeah. Uh, yet there's differences that God wanted to introduce into both of your lives. Yes. And uh, create something new. And, and cause you to stretch. And that happens through intergender unions. Yep. He wanted Nick to be something something more than he was before. Mm-hmm. And he wanted the same for Allie. And so he brought you two together. And the beautiful thing is over time, you you actually become something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you both do. Yeah. And it ties you together. It, it just builds the, the emotional intimacy between you. Yeah. I actually, uh, we actually went to the apologetics conference because we lived in Charlotte when we got married. We went to it the November or so after we got married, which was, which was obviously four months later since we're about to celebrate seven years here. And we heard a talk by a lady about gender and such kind of thing we're talking about. And I did recommend to her just recently your book, in fact. And she was talking all this stuff and I'd noticed this kind of thing going on with me about how my attitude was changing, because before then, before I got married, I used to be very self-critical about my own abilities, especially in apologetics and such. Didn't have much confidence and such. Everyone else around me thought that was crazy, but I thought that anyway, and I was trying to figure out what's what's so different now. And as this lady was talking, it finally clicked, I think, and I went up there and with Allie afterwards, and you know what, I think I've figured out what it is, that before I got married, 
I think my whole identity, my validation as a man and such, came from the work that I do. And so I was always on trial, as it was, and wanted to make sure everything I did was right. Well, now I've got Allie in my life. And she validates me, and she affirms me. So if I make a mistake in the other area, that's okay. And that, in fact, gives me more confidence and increases my ability in the other area. And to this day, I see us a hard time saying, I say, honey, you have no idea how much I was struggling before you came along. Mm. Well, she has, uh, she has promoted you and, and given you rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has paid a lot of great benefits and dividends in your life. So how is it, then, based on all this and such? And what does it mean for men and women to relate together? How does that work entirely? Well, uh, I, I introduced this word in the book, uh, asymmetry, mm-hmm. that I feel really captures uh, what we see in the scriptures, uh, kind of use it as a theological term, that we're made to love each other differently. That mm-hmm. it's not just a yin-yang of, of symmetrical, well, you know, we're doing the same things to each other. But God has specifically called us in our masculinity or in our femininity to love each other differently in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the way that I go about finding it is because you got, you got to be careful here because people might agree with that, but then they would go off on their say, well, in our family, we've always done it this way, and, and uh, this is what it is. And, and, they, and our, it's my preference to have uh, you know, women do this and men do that. And they, they kind of br- usher in their own kind of private tradition. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to stick with the scriptures and go with what the Bible says um, is, is the way that we uh, practice this asymmetry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if we carefully read the Apostle Paul on Genesis 2 and the way he reads Genesis 2, we find there are three things that we do for one another. And if we do these things, if a husband does this with his wife and if a wife does this with her husband, and in a, in a lesser degree, if brothers and sisters do this, then there will be a flourishing between them. There will be a, a growth in emotional intimacy. In, mm-hmm. in them. What does the husband do? He can take charge for her flourishing. Not just take charge just to be in charge, but take charge for her flourishing. He can, secondly, find the vision for their relationship, mm-hmm. find the vision for their family, find the vision for their ministry. And thirdly, he can make her secure. He can find out what it is that, that makes her secure, and he can do that. And that will do marvels in the relationship. On the women's side, what can a wife do? A wife can promote him, uh, the close man in her life, to taking charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, promote him to that place. And uh, this is a, we, you know, don't like the word submission, but this is a gift that women can give uh, to their men. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, it's a, it is a gift that they give. Um, you know, the Bible is not like the Quran. Uh, the Quran, the Bible never tells husbands to make their wives submit. Uh, the Bible uh, addresses these commands um, and it tells the wives to do it. Um Whereas in the Quran, it says, you know, you make your wife submit or else you, you, you know, you punish her. So 
this is a gift that the wife can give. Uh, secondly, she can bring divine help to achieving the vision of the relationship or the family or the ministry. And thirdly, she can give the husband rest mm-hmm. uh, and, and find the best way to do that for him. Mm-hmm. When we do these things for each other, uh, then our relationships really, uh, really take off. You know, as a man, the things for me, for a man to do seem pretty clear, but I was wondering when you talk about what a woman does, how does she give the man divine help and how does she give him rest? Okay, well, you know, what's great about, I think, the, the biblical principles here mm-hmm. uh, is that they vary, the principle is the same, but it varies with the relationship. Mm-hmm. So the best way for a woman to find out how to give a man rest is to ask him, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, is it? What is it that gives you rest uh, in our home or in our relationship? Find out, talk to him. And it, and it might be different for, for different men. Mm-hmm. Some men, it's like, you know, if you give me a clean space to come home to, that just gives me a lot of rest mm-hmm. in my spirit. For some men, it might be that. For other men, it might be, you know, giving me uh, some some silence um, and uh, having having times when I don't have to when I don't have to be talking. That gives mm-hmm. me rest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's different for different guys. Uh, similarly, a woman has uh, uniquely been gifted by God for the relationship that she's in. So when a man goes and apprehends the vision, says, look, here is where I think God is, is using, would, would best use our gifts. Um, she has different ways that she can make that happen. Um, I tell some stories uh, from the Bible, we, uh, illustrations that the Bible gives us. Uh, for example, uh, the, uh, from the book of Judges is a good example. At the beginning of the book of Judges, when things are much better than at the end of the book of Judges, uh, you have the best judge, the the most effective judge, and his name is Othniel, and uh, and he gets married to Aksa. And mm-hmm. Aksa do she tries to create a home for Othniel and her family, and his family and her family there that they're having together. So she goes to her father Caleb, and she says, "You know, I've I've gotten this land, but there's." There's no way to have water on the land, and I need to, uh, I need, I need to get the springs. Would you give me the springs? So she really takes a lot of initiative to make sure she can make a home in this very arid place. Very, des- des- uh, it's a place of desert. Mm-hmm. That's an example of her saying, "Okay, I'm making, I'm giving a place, uh, creating a home for, for Othniel." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she, that's one way of uh, sort of an example. You see different examples in scripture and in life that people can uh, do these things for one another. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, something I find very interesting, probably my, male, my man's side, saying a lot of men might be thinking the same thing, is they say, you know, uh, Dr. Alan Bayada said, you never mentioned sex in any of that. What role does that play? <laughs> Well, um, I, I beg your pardon for not mentioning sex. Let me mention it. <laughs> um, sex is very important. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's right there in the Bible. The Bible never, you know, people think 
who don't read the Bible that the Bible has somehow a, a negative view of sex, and it doesn't from, no. from the beginning. God says to the original couple, be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. And he says when he brings them together, the story of the creation of the genders, he brings them together and they become one flesh. Mm -hmm. That the first meaning of that certainly is uh, that they come one, come together in body and become one one flesh and body by having sex. Mm -hmm. So this is a wonderful gift that God has given. Unfortunately, um, the greater the gift, the more it can be misused, mm -hmm. and the more damage can be done by that misuse. Mm -hmm. So uh, marriage is a place to explore one another and enjoy one another. There's a whole book in the Bible. Uh, dedicated to this called the Song of Solomon, uh, dedicated to kind of sexual love. And when it's in that context, it's great. It, it, it helps us, it helps seal our, our marriage and it helps us remain vulnerable to one another. It helps us renew our vows every time we do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, if it's misused, it can cause so, such great hurt. Mm -hmm. And it, misused today when it's taken out of the context of a loving, committed relationship. And uh, so that's sad. That's the sad part of it. But uh, God wants us to enjoy sex and, and have a lot of it in our marriages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm remembering the joke I've heard before that Amanda said about, because you look at what Paul says about not withholding in First Corinthians, and he says, you know, I've heard many reasons for why my wife says no in a marriage, prayer and fasting has never been one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I counsel a lot of couples and usually, um, you know, some single people before they're married, they're sometimes, dis they're sometimes disappointed to find out that uh, married people do have problems in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually, you know, sex is a mirror of the relationship. So if the relationship is good, Usually, uh, sex is good if they're remembering to not get too busy uh, and, and making time for it. Mm -hmm. But uh, if the, there's something wrong in the relationship, very often that comes out in the bedroom as well, and, and sex stops happening. And uh, if you solve uh, the problems that are going on outside the bedroom, then, then uh, most of the problems in the bedroom are solved. Mm -hmm. And something we should say is that it means something vastly different to a man than it does to a woman, doesn't it? Uh, well, I, I would like to challenge that a little okay. bit. Okay. Uh, because the idea is, is supposed to be that um, men are more sexual than women. Right. And uh, I, the, just the research that I've read, um, there are certainly, there's certainly a, uh, a greater testosterone level in men mm -hmm. uh, there's a greater greater sexual drive but uh, women are also quite sexual it's just that women have a much stronger uh, suppression system if I could put it that way mm -hmm. that they uh, they're much more easily to easily turn it off mm -hmm. so that women have sexual drive also but Usually, they're they're much more adept at, at just disconnecting from that, um, whereas men are not. Uh, so, it, it I think it appears that men are are uh, more sexual or one sex more often, but it's mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's that simple. I think one of the main differences I've heard a lot is for men, men 
kind of went for sex up front, and then they get to have the emotional intimacy at that point. And women need the emotional intimacy before they can have the sex. And I think if that's true, that's one of the ways that God made us, that we, men and women, have to adapt to the needs and desires of one another, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I've heard the saying, uh, you know, men, uh, let's say men Mm -hmm. uh, give love to get sex and women give sex to get love. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which is maybe a more crass way of putting it, mm. uh, but we do we do operate at different speeds, and uh, there, I think that uh, in a in a good relationship, men do learn to live considerately with their wives, and see mm. the needs that they have, and mm. at the same time, as you say, women are learning uh, the needs that the men have, and uh, their their men and their husbands and are able to uh, respond when you have a when you have a relationship that's functioning well then there that understanding is there mm-hmm. so the husband is is taking time to to talk to his wife and uh, make sure that she's she's being met her needs are being met emotionally yeah and the woman is is very happy to be making sure the man is is being satisfied in sex yeah. And when you have a good marriage, that's that's going on both sides. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I find it interesting that so many men were talking about, and wonder what can I do to get more action and such. And at the same time, they never seem to consider, oh, geez, maybe I should bring home a gift for her every now and then. Or maybe I should help her around the house. Or maybe I should take her out for dinner or sometime and such. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that, probably the biggest thing often is just talking to her, mm-hmm. uh, just giving her attention. And that's why you, if you read Ephesians 5 closely, you, you actually can improve your sex life. Mm. Uh, because Paul goes into, the, you know, that's that uh, most kind of lofty passage about marriage in the New Testament. And Paul explains what a, what a husband does, and he compares it to Christ who washed his, his, you know, the, his bride with water by word. And it's, it's kind of interesting that Paul brings that up to talk about, but a lot of guys uh, don't feel like talking. And so it's a challenge, but uh, actually what he's telling them to do is, hey, you should be washing your wife with the water of the word. You should be talking to her, not just talking, but being able to bring a scriptural perspective to her problems. And she is she is needing she, to be able to say, "Hey, this is this is a way we should look at it. This is what uh, God's word tells us." And when you do that for a woman, my God, she'll she'll throw herself at you. Mm-hmm. You do that for a Christian woman. Yeah, uh, congratulations! I think you just suddenly got a lot of men doing Bible study here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. It's helpful. Yeah, I actually wrote something on. Facebook over this past week or so where I said that, you know, if you look at a lot of our popular shows and such, that you'll find that, you know, a couple starts dating and then before too long they are having sex together and then they say, well, maybe we should live together and then I that they decide they're going to get married and you get the idea that the uh, great sex leads to a great marriage and I said, it's actually the opposite. In fact, if you want to have great sex, you need to have a great marriage first. 
Yeah, yes, it's a very sad consequence of our day mm-hmm. that uh, the, I think it, the loss of gender uh, leads to women not understanding what they need to do before marriage and withholding themselves mm-hmm. to not value themselves enough to say, you know, I, I need to be looking for a man who's going to give me commitment before I give myself. Mm-hmm. Women are kind of taught these days that, oh, well, I should just give myself and, and that will get me the man, like you're saying. And it's such a disaster. Yeah. Uh, I tell women every time I say, whenever you decide you're going to sleep with a guy, what you are telling him is what he's giving you is how much you are worth. If it's been three dates in a movie or something like that, where you decide that's how much I'm worth. But if you say a lifelong commitment, say you gotta put a ring on me first, and you are saying I am worth a lifelong commitment. Well said. Well said. I'd like to remind everyone here at this point, about halfway point of the show, that uh, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. I've got Dr. Sam Andreadis on here. We're talking Good about job. his. Got the name right. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm a quick learner like that. Uh, we're talking about his book, Engendered. But if you're here next week, uh, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, which, as you all know, is one of my favorite topics. And we're going to have Tony Costa on talking about the resurrection, how we can know it's a historical reality and such. For now, let's get back to Dr. Andreadis and talking about the book Engendered. Now, you know, something we have to ask about masculinity and femininity is that, I mean, there are some things that make a man a man, make a woman a woman, and there are some things that are more culturally put out there and such. And like you said, there are differences. My wife would... I have no problem going to see the new James Bond movie or the new Avengers movie with me. And she probably can't stand chick flicks. Aside from a notebook, every guy has to watch the notebook apparently sometime before he gets married. <laughs> but, um, what, how, how much of masculinity and femininity is based on culture? Well, um, that's a great question. And it's, it's worth talking about so that uh, people can be clear about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a man or a woman doesn't have traditional interests, like most mm-hmm. of the other men or women in the culture, it really doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything about their manhood or their womanliness. So if you know you don't like knitting mm-hmm. and your, your culture is that women always knit in your culture, then it doesn't mean yeah. that you're not a woman. Um, because womanliness is all about how you use your gifts and your interests and your capacities mm-hmm. in relationship. 
So that's, that's important to get clear. It's very important for the body of Christ to understand this so that we do not exclude the outliers. Mm-hmm. We don't uh, relegate people because they don't quite fit in. Um, mm-hmm. If a guy is not good at sports, we don't at all make him feel in the body of Christ like he's not a man. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the uh, transgender difficulty these days needs to be, the church needs to be the healing place where people can learn that this isn't what makes them a man. This is what makes them a woman. So they can, um, they can, they can be received because if they're not, it not only does damage to the individual who's excluded and there are developmental difficulties that will follow them late into life, but it also stunts the group of people who are not receiving, uh, who are excluding that person because they they miss out on what God wants for them and the gifts that this person is bringing. So it's very important to realize that. I would say that we also have to realize that Culture is still important because uh, masculinity and femininity is always expressed through our culture. It's never something that's just naked. It's a, it's a clo- culture is the clothing of gender. So we just got to be careful not to mistake cultural practices for the thing itself. Mm-hmm. So this is what happens, for example, um, it, it's, like, it's like wedding rings. You know, wedding rings are great. They don't really mean anything in, in themselves, but, but we wear wedding rings to express commitment in our culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, does that mean that, you know, everyone at all times and places should always wear wedding rings if they're married? Well, no, not in cultures that don't wear wedding rings because then it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're in a culture that wears a ring in the nose if you're married or something, and then that's what you might do to express commitment. So it's a, it's so underneath the the wedding ring, which itself is meaningless, there's something good. Mm-hmm. And this is Paul's argument in First Corinthians eleven. It's the same with cultural practices that express gender that we're that we should use them. The First Corinthians eleven, you know, is the passage, the famous passage about head coverings. Mm-hmm. And Paul, if you read him closely and well, I think is saying that, you know, this is this is not necessarily for all times and places, but in their culture, uh, head coverings express something very important. It was saying something about married women. It was saying, I'm, I'm acknowledging myself to mm-hmm. be the care of my husband. And so they would they would wear their their head covered in in public. They would cover their hair in public. And Paul says, you know what? You should bring that into your worship service, because even though it's a, it's a cultural practice, it's the nature of things here in in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says something to God. It says, you know, the principle underneath, I believe in, mm-hmm. and the, so we can use gender practices. And Paul says, what your gender practice is, bring it into your worship. Because God's watching your worship, and the angels are watching your worship, and you want to say to them, I understand what it means to be made in the image of God. That means I'm made gendered, and I'm going to express that through my particular culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important, since you mentioned the transgender thing, that many times you'll find someone who says that uh, they 
they're a man, but they feel like a woman, or they're a woman, they feel like they're a man, and such. What do we say to people like this? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I do, um, because I do now um, address people like that and, and uh, need to talk to them, and we're going to find more and more people who have that gender confusion because when you lose gender in relationship, you lose gender mm -hmm. uh, because that's what gender is about. So in our culture, we're going to see more and more kind of gender confusion. And so it's very important for the church to learn uh, the principles uh, that are going on here and how to address and help people who feel like the way you're talking. That I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a male body, but I feel like a, a girl. I feel like a woman. I've always felt like a woman. So what should I do? Should I should I transition? Should I uh, start taking hormones or cross-dressing? And then eventually, should I have the operations? Uh, is that the way I should go? And we want to we be able to help people. And I would say the way to help them, well, it's kind of a big subject, but I say the, one of the biggest ways to help them is, first of all, to agree that the things they're thinking about, that when they say, I don't feel like a, I don't feel like a man in my culture, you should agree that, yeah, that's because your culture is not telling you what a real man is. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel like a man, I agree with you. You're not a man according to the culture. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has made you in a certain way so that you can be a man in God's view. Mm -hmm. And if God thinks that you're a man, then it doesn't matter what other people think. In fact, it even doesn't matter as much what you think mm -hmm. because he can help you to learn to be what a real man is. And you learn that in relationship. So being a man has a lot more to do with how you're treating the women around you than whether or not you feel like you want to go hunting or um, feel like, you know, you want to watch the Terminator. Mm -hmm. and, and being a woman, you know, you talk, if you listen to these interviews of people who are transitioning, they're like, well, why are you doing, well, I've always felt uh, I'm a woman, but I've always felt like a guy. Uh, because I don't fit in with other women and I, and, you know, I don't like to go shopping and, um, you know, I don't, I'm not afraid of mice, all these mm -hmm. different things. And, and you think, well, wow, is that why she doesn't feel like a woman? Well, that doesn't mean anything. Um, because as Christians, we have a, uh, we have a, a resilient and a very robust understanding from the scriptures of what it means to be a woman, what it needs to be a man. We can set these people free a lot of times and help them to see that, uh, yeah, if you judge by the culture, then I can understand your feelings of dysphoria, but God can help you to see things in a different way, and that can help you to avoid some of these procedures, which really are irreversible mm -hmm. and, so, and, and dangerous and do not uh, help the body actually introduce a lot of potential uh, uh problems for the body so uh yeah we we i feel like uh we need to get on this because the church has the answer for that mm -hmm. now if anyone's wanting a little bit more i think it was earlier this year we did interview ward higher on this how he went from being a man to being a woman then back to being a man again 
So if you're interested in the whole transgender thing, and you want a bit more, that's another good source to go to. You know, something you talk about also would be interested. There was a story in the book that I liked about that. Uh, imagine you're the uh, usual idea of a man here in America, and you go to a football game. You're going to, say, the Super Bowl, and you've got the best seats in the house. And this is what men do, supposedly, after all. Right. And then you get there, and you find to your left and to your right, there's a woman next to you. Well, okay, yeah, some women will go to the Super Bowl. That's fine. But then you look throughout the stadium, and is an overwhelming majority of women. There are just a few confused guys, you know, they're wondering... <laughs> Uh, what's going on, and probably some very happy guys saying, hey, I can probably get a date here pretty easily. Uh, such, right. but, but overall, all of a sudden, men there aren't really feeling as much like men anymore, are they? Yeah, yeah, I give that uh, illustration to show that a lot of times what we think is manly, it's really just that other men are doing it, mm -hmm. and we have fellowship with men, and that's good. So it's good to have fellowship with other men. Uh, but we shouldn't mistake that for thinking, well, therefore, this is what makes a man. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so then what we're really looking for, it doesn't so much matter what the activity is. What matters is that men and women are doing this in relationship together, right? Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, we've talked about how uh, how men are supposed to relate to women some, and how women are supposed to relate to men. But something can be neglected is, how are men supposed to relate to men, and how are women supposed to relate to women? Well, when I, uh, when I look at uh, different relationships, I, I think a God has a purpose for all different relationships. There's something special about um, relationships across the genders that teach us about his triune nature, because what we have in the Trinity are different persons who are equal, but different. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we have a, a, a kind of memory of that, a, a mirror of that, a glimpse of that. And, and when we come together across the gender, someone who's very different from us and equal to us, and yet at the same time, um, is, is different enough that it causes us to come out of ourselves to love that person. Mm -hmm. There's something very special about the image of God that's projected when we have relationship across the genders. But I think there's, there's also something that's done among the genders as we come together um, in, in, let's say, men with men. I think that that's a lot of ways, a lot of ways it works in going through life is that that's the first kind of relationships we understand and experience uh, developmentally. Mm -hmm. It's very important for boys to sort of connect at a certain point with their fathers and, and have that relationship. When that doesn't happen, it, it can cause uh, a lot of different problems. Mm -hmm. Developmental psychologists will tell you this. Um, but as you grow older, then, um, our peer relationships become very important um, and they can continue to be important, but God wants to bring us to a place uh, where we can step across the line as well mm -hmm. and enter into that relationship as well. So 
I would say the same gendered relationships are, are important and they're important friendships. They kind of support us going forward. And God would also like to bring us into these intergendered relationships for a kind of complete picture of, of mirroring the Trinity. Mm-hmm. I've uh, heard that some people are say that when you encounter men with homosexual desires and such, a lot of times it can be because they never really had those proper male, de- male relationships when they were growing up. Yeah, well, homosexuality is a, a complex phenomenon because it's about our sexuality, which is complex. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when people say, you never, uh, you know, you know, just give us a little time, we're going to find the gay gene. You're not going to find a gay gene. Mm-hmm. Because uh, our sex, our sexuality and, and our sexual desires are something that's it's made up of a lot of different parts of us. So it's not one thing, uh, even if there are some uh, kind of genetic propensities, they're not really going to explain it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we find, uh, what I've found in working with uh, folks in this ministry, Higher Ground in New York that I mentioned, uh, that guys with same-sex attraction that are, that are unwanted, they have unwanted same-sex attraction. Um, what I've found are many different stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes I've found, I, I've met guys and talked with them where they did not experience same-sex attraction at all. Uh, until their 20s and they came to New York City and certain things uh, happened and then they found themselves um, sexually aroused. So that can be a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an unusual story, but but that can happen. And so there are many different pathways, I think, to homosexuality. The predominant one, the one I would say is, is most common, is the one that you just mentioned, where a guy is growing up and something goes wrong with his uh, either guardian or father relationship, male, male to male, man to man relationships growing up. Because all of us as, as men start out when we're boys as wanting to be men. When, mm-hmm. when we're growing up, we're boys and we want to be men. But all of us doubt it. All of us right. doubt whether we really can be men. Mm-hmm. And so we need different kind of affirmations along the way to come to a place to affirm our manhood. And for many of the guys that I've spoken with at, at um, in the higher ground ministry, for many of them, it's they, they had a desire um, to be a man that that didn't that didn't work that that somehow that wasn't uh, they didn't come to that ability to know they were men. And at a certain point. Uh, in, during puberty, that that desire was sexualized, so the desire to be a man became a desire for a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of got located outside the person, uh, and so that that often is true. Although the stories are very different, um, that that very that's a very common one. At a certain point, there wasn't the connection that that needed to be happening developmentally, and they ended up. Um, with the situation, and um, uh, that's uh, that's where, that's what they would attribute it to. These many of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think that 
this could be a shock to many women to learn sometimes, is that the men in their lives often still struggle with this question of, am I the man, and such. And many times that's one reason the men so often are so much wanting sex with their wives constantly, because for them, that's one, usually that's one of the biggest affirmations of their masculinity, right? You say, I'm still your man, I can still turn you on, I can still bring you joy. Yeah, yeah, that's a deep affirmation. And what's wonderful about marriage is that a lot of times it does complete the story. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a certain time in good marriages where a man wakes up and says, you know what, I am a man. And it's because uh, his wife and the relationship with his wife has just affirmed it enough so that he actually understands it and believes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was... My wife wanted me to talk with someone today that she got in a discussion with who was kind of a mindset that, you know, of finding multiple people to love and such. And I said, look, there was an old proverb that says that he who loves many women has loved none. He who has loved one has loved them all. And the whole thing is that once you find that one woman, the union's complete, that woman's adequate for your needs and such as it were, that she completes you, she doesn't, you don't need anything more, so why would you bother looking for someone else after that? Well, that's beautiful. Uh, how did you say that? The man who has loved many women has loved none? I think it's an old Spanish proverb. I've heard Ravi Zacharias use it before. He who loves many women has loved none. He who has loved one has loved them all. Well, I think that's beautiful. Uh, especially because in marriage, when we learn to love our wives, mm-hmm. it changes our attitude toward other women as well. Mm-hmm. We learn to see what our wife needs. Um, it helps us understand the other. Yeah. It helps us cross that line and say, okay, I mm-hmm. see what's going on here. And I see, I, you know, when I got married to my wife, um, I appreciated her, but I I really didn't comprehend her gifts mm-hmm. and how valuable they were. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, um, you know, I, I like there was a time early in our marriage where we were had to get up early on the Sunday morning, go to this wedding. And I did something that I never do. I'm not the kind of person who does this, but I locked my keys in the car. Mm. And I was, as soon as I closed the door, I realized I had done this. And uh, I, I was really upset because we were late. We needed to get to this wedding. And so I went upstairs and I told my wife, uh, we were living in Brooklyn at the time. And I said, you know, I, I locked my keys in the corner. Now, now I have to call a locksmith. And I got out the phone book and I was just, you know, trying to locate a locksmith on Sunday morning in Brooklyn. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And my wife said, well, you know, I, I can handle this. You know, I, this happens to me a lot because I do lock my keys in the car. She said, you just go down and stand there with a hanger, uh, an unbent hanger. It looks like you're trying to get in. And, and someone comes along and says, hey, can I open that for you? And opens it. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at her and I said, listen, we got to get this job done. We can't depend on these kinds of things. I, I got to find a locksmith. And, you know, I was trying to solve the problem and I, the way I thought it had to be solved. And, and so I went back to trying to do it and, you know, I couldn't find a locksmith who would come out or they would, you know, we're going to charge hundreds of dollars. And meanwhile, my wife takes a hanger, unfolds it, goes down, stands by a car. She wasn't there. 
more than, I think, 90 seconds. <laughs> 90 <laughs> seconds. And a guy comes along. Jumps out of his car and says, "Hey, can I help you open that?" She says, "Yeah, we locked our keys in the car." So he's he shimmies it, sticks the thing in right up, and the doors open. And that was the day. And so she comes and tells me this. That was the day I began to realize that there are whole whole parts of the universe that I can't fathom that my wife has access to. Mm-hmm. That she has certain gifts and certain ways of doing things and knowing things that just go way beyond me that i just they're just a completely different universe mm-hmm. i and i realized that was the way I, so i tra- i trace it back to that day that was the day i started i just started to appreciate my wife mm-hmm. so like- our marriage has been a whole process of me learning to appreciate her and and once i do that you know mm-hmm. i i understand other women better Uh, in mind of when you're listening to the Deeper Barbers podcast, and I really hope you're consider supporting us, joining with us, being partners with us, as it were. And I mean, this work that we do, I get benefited from it. There's no doubt, but it's a service I do to others. Take the time, read the books, get in touch with the people who come on, and say, "Hey, are you wearing and such?" And if you uh, if you want to uh, help us out here with what we're doing, go to our website at deeperwatersapologetics.com and there you're, you're go down and you look on the side and there's a link that says help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And you click that link and you go to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Mike and Debbie Lacona, those are my in-laws. And you make your donation there, then you get in touch with Mike and Debbie, or you get in touch with Ari or myself and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We'll make sure we get your donation and it will be tax deductible. You can also go and buy some books that uh, ebooks that I've either written or co written. Written is a, a creed for the ages, the Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian. And co-written include books like Defining Inerrancy or Groundless or God and Natural Disasters, Debate with an Atheist. And uh, then another thing you can do, guys, and I'm sure Dr. Ayon Deartes will appreciate this as well, is that you might not have noticed this, men, but many times... For women in your life, if you're wanting to make them feel loved and secured, jewelry seems to have a good effect on women a lot of times. So uh, we actually have a jewelry store here. One of my friends works with Premier Jewelers. You get in touch with me or you get in touch with her, Elena Cluster, about this. And there's a link on our website again, access code love. 
And you go there and you buy some jewelry for that woman in your life. And whatever you buy, 25% of a purchase will go to Depot Barters. So, guys, here's a great tip to get ahead of a woman in your life. And like I always tell you, you can go and you can buy some jewelry to make up for that screw-up that you recently did. Or you can go and buy some jewelry to get future insurance for that screw-up that I know you're going to make in the future. <laughs> and also, guys, please consider going on iTunes and leaving a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. I really love to see them. Um, Dr. Andre Artis, do you have a uh, organization and ministry you'd like to see people donate to? Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Nick. I uh, What I'd really like is for people to visit the Affirming Gender website, where mm. I write a blog post and uh, I update it about once a week with a new blog post. And so if people want to learn more about uh, how to affirm gender, it's an easy name to remember, affirminggender.com. It's the w- two words together, affirminggender.com. They can learn more about it and about this ministry and if it works that I could come and uh, mm-hmm. speak at some function that you're having or uh, you'd like to uh, publicize this uh, teaching and and get the word out that uh, I would appreciate that. That, that would be a great uh, help to my goals because um, I would like the body of Christ to learn more about uh, the principles of gender from the Bible. Mm-hmm. So go to affirminggender.com everyone and We'll be telling you also about how to get Dr. Andre Artis' book at the end of the show. It is a great one here. And you know, something else I've learned about relating with other women now is the centrality that I give my relationship with my wife. Because I tell her, like, I don't like to be alone with other women at all anymore now. Because I don't want to be put into a place of temptation whatsoever or anything that people could raise her eyebrows and think I'm doing something improper with because that Mm. relationship with her aside from Jesus Christ that is the most important relationship that I have yeah that's very good Mm -hmm. when I counsel uh, engaged folks I often talk about the the duty of jealousy Mm -hmm. I said jealousy is actually a good thing it's not a bad thing Mm -hmm. And uh, for you to be jealous of one another and, and how you're spending your time and decisions yep. like that that you make, it's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. There are some uh, s- stories, in fact, that uh, people have seen before that Ari's on Facebook and I watch what she does very closely because she's very sensitive to what people are saying. I want to be there. And I think there was an unwritten rule on our Facebook. And by the way, something I also do on there and I tell people about this is Six days a week since I don't post on Sunday, I post some marriage meme for us. And then I post something that I love about my wife every single day. And uh, what? That's that's great. Yeah. That's lovely. And there have been times that someone has gone on her Facebook and said something. Disagreeing with her is fine. I disagree with her on some things, but they've been very, very rude. And as soon as that happens... I do not hold back whatsoever. And my my former roommate at one time said, "Hey, you you need to cool down a bit." And I'm, I don't look. With all due respect, I'm married and I understand what this passion is like. And 
If someone goes after her, they are going to hear from me. There is no doubt about that. And she had a friend once who, who was in the military, and after he, he went after her once, and I tore into him, he said, I am scared of your husband. Uh. <laughs> and every time she says that, I say, good. I want people to be scared to say something like that to you anywhere, because if anyone does go after you, my nice, calm, mild manner approach is going to go after window. You mean you say whatever you want to me, that's fine, I can take it, but you go after my wife, and my claws come out. And and does Allie appreciate that? Has she said that she is appreciative of that in you? Uh, well, she had someone go after her similar bit today, and I jumped in and kind of argued against the guy, and she just said, thank you. Well, I, I'll bet she really does appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, yeah. you're you're securing her. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that uh, something that you learn a lot in marriage is forgiveness. There was mm -hmm. a, a time when I was working at a Walmart shortly after we got married, and there was a girl who was one of my fellow cashiers. She came up to me and said, you know, Nick, you seem like a real spiritual, a real wise guy. I'm having a hard time with forgiveness what's the best way to learn forgiveness and i said get married you spend most uh, of your time either getting it giving it or receiving it and i'll spend a whole lot more time receiving it and then before too long after talking with her i said okay what's his name said, how did you said, it's always a guy a woman is having a hard time forgiving mm. 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 yeah well uh that that certainly is important forgiveness is uh, mm -hmm. kind of to any relationship because mm -hmm. any relationship involves two sinners mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it's it drives us back to Jesus Christ because mm -hmm. really the best the only way that we can forgive the way he wants us to forgive is to recognize how much we've been forgiven by him mm -hmm. and when uh, uh, very often in a marriage, when things start to go uh, get very difficult or start to break down, it's very important for the uh, e each of the spouses to be able to see Christ between them and to realize that you know they've been given for, for been forgiven for so much that uh, they can they can forgive their spouse. As someone who married relatively late in my life, I said nearly thirty years old and such and being a nerd all my life I and mean, when i went through bible college at, at one point during a ceremony when i was working my masters where we all got to get together at the president's house there for a little outing and such and someone said to me nick how did you get through here without getting married and, such. <laughs> and you know well I, I was too shy to ask anyone else out and no one else seemed to be interested in me and such and so now i I think for people like myself, when we get married, and especially since we're nerds, we get, oh my gosh, I am so amazed. You you actually wanted to be in a relationship with me. You actually picked me. And we don't lose sight of it. I, I think one of the great mistakes a lot of couples can make in a marriage today is it's easy to get so used to the other person. Sometimes you can take them for granted. Yes, that's true. That's very true. Mm -hmm. It's kind of neat for you to share your experience about that. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's it's important that marriage rem remains an adventure. Mm -hmm. It remains something that you are 
you're both kind of engaged in an, an adventure. It's sort of mm-hmm. like when you watch a movie mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the, it's, it's not really a good movie if the two, the two romantic leads just come together and there's not much happening between right. them or action, right? But right. if there's something that's going on in a movie that, that they're both kind of challenged by, then it it makes it a really beautiful thing when the romantic leads finally do get together, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's similar in life. That God wants us to be living out an adventure and serving Him, mm-hmm. and we live out this adventure and things go on and we are handling them, helping each other handle them. Mm-hmm. That invigorates our relationship. If our relationship is just about itself, uh, it tends to uh, it tends to stagnate. And we do start to take uh, uh, take each other for granted. Uh, but when the relationship is about something bigger than itself, it's about uh, serving God together and, and engaging in life together and having our, our, these different goals that we're, we're meeting and helping each other, then then what happens is there's adventure and, they, and it invigorates the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. Um and so we can we can act in our gendered way toward one another, and that that kind of propels the relationship forward, and we remain grateful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When you start talking about the adventure together and such, I remember there was a time that I actually gave a sermon in the church we were in, and if anyone's looking, you can uh, see it online. It's on my YouTube channel and such. I don't think it's on the Deeper Waters channel. It might be, but it's on my own individual one it's the love sermon uh, my pastor asked me to fill in from one sunday and said okay your text is first corinthians 13 i think oh great you gave me an easy one thank you so much for that <laughs> but as it turns out my, my my style is very unique for friday night before i thought you know i've, I've been able to look at a few commentaries and such and i read through them and said oh okay that's it and got there and I actually don't speak with notes when I go up and give a talk. So I just gave a talk for about an hour or so on 1 Corinthians 13. And everyone kind of went, wow, that's just one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard and such. And there's even someone in the audience who was a speech therapist and said, I, I, I don't see how that could have been improved on and such. That's and great. so later on, we had to, to give a co- little conference at a place called Cherokee in the North Carolina, Tennessee region. And I was co- supposed to go up there and my topic was supposed to be the apologetics of love. And we we all stayed at a hotel across from where the speaking was. And my wife was having some sort of back issues in such a day and she was staying in the hotel. So I go over and I'm giving my talk they're watching this room, and it's being a good talk and such. And then I get a major shock as the door opens, and one of our friends had gone, and they got an alley, and they brought her in. And as soon as she came in, my eyes lit up immediately. Because it's like, now I'm no longer speaking to just an audience of people. There's, here's my great motivation right here in the audience. And so I've always told it, hun, the adventure is not the same if you're not with me because I, I, I can never perform at my full level unless I know you're around. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that shows, uh, again, what, uh, what a wife can do for a husband. Mm-hmm. I, I think also someone could say that all relationships, and we have to realize this, all relationships involve risk. And Tal, you talk about how you didn't know your something about your wife until the coat hanger incident and such. And there, there was a meme I've seen online with a father and a son talking together. And the son says, Dad, did you know that in some cultures a guy doesn't, a man doesn't know his wife until he gets married? And the, husband, and the father says, it's like that everywhere, son. Uh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one of the tragedies of the kind of loss of gender these days is that uh, it, the, the kind of jumping over the hurdle to make a relationship happen a lot of times doesn't happen because the men in the culture don't feel the responsibility to jump the hurdle because they don't feel like out they don't feel distinct that's distinctive of what a man needs to do mm-hmm. but it is so uh, you know yeah, you know women i i try to tell women you better be careful if you if you it's right to affirm that men and women are equal because the bible says that and that's uh, something we've got to hold and treasure but if you start to say that men and women are interchangeable Mm-hmm. and that there is no difference, then you better be careful because they'll stop asking you out mm-hmm. on dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a complaint that a lot of uh, single women have is like, can't get guys to, to move. There's this failure to launch. And it's really because uh, men have lost, it's the loss, the culture's loss of gender. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, there's, there's risk involved, certainly risk on both sides. Mm-hmm. But when when men are understand, they understand that they're charged with um, leading in the vision. Mm-hmm. That begins even before the relationship. It begins in the pursuit of a woman and being willing to take that very dangerous step of making yourself vulnerable and asking her mm-hmm. first out on a date and then uh, you know continuing in the relationship because the danger is she might reject you. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of guys are not prepared anymore to to uh to undergo that risk mm. uh, uh, yeah i would say my wife was the one who kind of dropped the the bomb first on me admitting she had interest in me and such and sometimes that can happen but, but everything else afterwards i was the one doing the asking and leading and, and say uh-huh. yeah yeah man also it when it comes to problem the question I'm still traditionist, but I say talk to her parents first because you're asking for something really big there. Uh huh. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's a transfer. You know, we stand there at the at the uh, at the altar, and and uh, the minister says, "Who gives this woman to be to be wed?" And uh, father stands up, and says, uh, "I do," or or he says, "I'm my, her mother, and I do." Mm-hmm. So there is a transfer that's happening of care. And you're you're saying uh, in, in marrying a woman, uh, I'm willing to take responsibility for her care. So uh, I think it's a good practice to mm-hmm. approach the parents uh, and uh, has to maybe sit down with the dad and say, "Look, uh, here's my plan for for taking care of her. Would you give your assent to this and and uh, let him weigh in on the matter?" I think that's a good practice. Mm-hmm. 
Now, with uh, what you were talking about, women and such, do you think the uh, feminist movement has really hurt hurt women in the long run? Well, uh, feminism is kind of a big tent. Mm -hmm. I would say that uh, in, in certain ways, uh, it's it's been good in that if I think that you know when you lose any part of the Bible's counsel, you lose. And different cultures mess it up in different ways. And I think for uh, for our culture, for for earlier times, the equality of men and women were, were lost. Mm -hmm. The Bible, from the very beginning, is very clear when he makes, in his image, male and female, that women are equally made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. So there's an equality in bearing the image of God that we share. And a lot of times, you know, the trouble starts in Genesis 3, and God kind of predicts the trouble. A lot of times uh, in, in culture, you know, women have been oppressed and haven't been treated as equals. So to the degree that feminism has challenged that and affirmed the equality of men and women, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, the, the species of feminism in our country has uh, thrown out the, the baby with the bathwater mm -hmm. and said that there is no asymmetry to way men and women love each other. Mm -hmm. And so they try to minimize gender. And a lot of the efforts of feminism these days has been to minimize gender or make it of no account mm -hmm. or obliterate it. Mm -hmm. And that is very harmful for women. Mm -hmm. And in the end, actually, the more you do that, the less women can achieve equality. Mm -hmm. Uh, men need to be part of the solution and when you just think uh, well we're just going to go off and be independent mm -hmm. and selves equal that that doesn't work in this world uh, because uh, men aren't involved in that mm -hmm. so there's a lot of foibles and mistakes that, that do harm women in feminism but we can agree as Christians that yes it's very good to make sure uh, that women are uh, treated equally and have equal pay and such like that. Yeah, and part of it, I think, is that women sometimes don't realize that uh, men really aren't the enemy. Some men are the enemy, of course, but it's not men, men that's the problem. It's not masculinity, and that they can actually wind up by their actions emasculating, as it were, the men in their lives. Yeah, when we don't appreciate each other, it's uh, it's harmful. Um, and this is all predicted in Genesis 3. God said, you know, you're going to have trouble now in your relationship in these ways. Uh, and he is going to um, be ruling you in a domineering way. And the, and the Hebrew verb there can mean domineering in, in a sinful way, rule over uh, the woman in a sinful way. And I think it does. Mm -hmm. And she's going to be trying to, you know, assert her independence and usurp authority uh, by manipulation or uh, or rebellion, and that's characterized the sad history of uh, men and women ever since. So this is all sort of continuing to play out before our eyes, and the, that's why we need redemption in Christ to really straighten us out, put us back on the right way. Now, when we look at our culture today, I mean, we can tell we're in a real 
mixed up situation as right now I'm reaching for something I just remember that I've got here and it's from the uh, local university here pronouns matter a guide to using gender neutral pronouns and asking all these new pronouns ni v a z here z zurich z and that these pronouns can even change from day to day and such and so I mean, you can tell we are in a very mixed up culture here how can we yeah. fix this I, I, uh, the, when I started this um, website at the beginning of this year, actually the first post I wrote, you can, uh, people can read it at affirmingender.com, was about how when I was in college, I saw this starting. Mm -hmm. My school was one of the first to have a gender studies department. Mm -hmm. I saw that beginning through, it was really queer studies that began the minimization and of gender and, and what would they would say is tearing down the gender binary. Mm -hmm. That is to make it so that really gender uh, is not real. It's just something that's social, like a social construct we were talking about. And so it's really something that we can just do away with and it's good for people to do away with it. And it's been, it's led to the situation now where uh, people choose their pronouns and choose uh, and, and try to modify their bodies according to what they're feeling. Uh, and if you say, how can we fix that? I'm, I think that the answer in all cases is uh, uh, redemption in Christ. That mm -hmm. The only way to fix ourselves is, is we can't fix ourselves. We can only turn to Christ for salvation. And when, when salvation begins to work, it starts to recreate the image of God mm -hmm. that and gender comes back. Um, what's going to happen with our culture? It's uh, it's hard to say. The the church, however, ha contributes to this breakdown of the gender when it um, minimizes gender in different ways. When it when it when when Christians decide to minimize gender in marriage and say, well, gender doesn't ma matter, and, and how we how we love each other is not different. Um, in those types of situations, the church is, is contributing to the breakdown. Mm -hmm. So I think a good thing that we can do is um, recover gender in our, in our churches, um, go back to the scriptures, find out what, what, what the Bible really says about it and hold to that, and mm -hmm. see, see through, the, through the flourishing of our relationships is hopefully an attractive um, advertisement for the wisdom of the Bible. Why do you think the culture is in this position where they are wanting to destroy gender, as it were? I mean, what do they think? What do they think they gain out of it? Well, you can look at what happens uh, in the world at di on different levels, right? I think mm -hmm. ultimately, what you have is uh, the forces of evil tearing down the image of God. And that happens in different cultures and different civilizations in different ways. And, and each civilization has a cycle in which it, uh, it's infused by the, the gospel and, and rises. And then there are forces that uh, tear it down. And I think ultimately what we're losing here and what's being torn down when you lose gender is the image of God, as Genesis 1 states. Um, so there are 
you know, you, you can look at it at the highest level or you can look at it at kind of lower levels and say, why? Well, I think that, uh, you know, whenever there's a, a, a error on one side, culture tends to stress the other side. Mm-hmm. So if there was, uh, you know, a loss of the Bible's teaching about equality for, for women and men, then the culture said, well, we're going to just do focus on that to the exclusion of the other. Mm-hmm. And another culture would focus on one on the other side to the exclusion of equality. So uh, they're, they're, they're trying to correct it, but without, without the wisdom of the scriptures, you can't really correct it. You just overcompensate. Um, and that's what I would see happening here. Mm-hmm. What do you think parents can do with their children raising them up in this culture to make sure that their children grew up and affirmed in whatever gender they are? Well, that's a great question, Nick, and it's an important question because a lot of parents are confused these days when uh, when they walk into the bathroom and they find their little boy has dressed up as a girl. Mm-hmm. The reaction at that moment is very important. Uh, if they freak out and say, oh my gosh, I must have a transgender child, uh, they're ignoring the fact that when children are young, they're always exploring like that. Mm-hmm. They, I think that's not uncommon for that kind of thing to happen at all. Mm-hmm. And those, those, those are really teaching moments where you can, if you don't freak out, uh, you can take the child and, and patiently explain that gender is a moral issue, that we don't mm-hmm. dress in opposite clothes because uh, God created us in a certain way and he tells us not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actually, if you, uh, you know, usually when someone's dress, when a little kid is dressing up in other's clothes, it's because it's, it's just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can help teach them just like you teach them about any other moral issue and uh, bring them out. And uh, when you do that, uh, you can guide them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's important for parents not to be confused themselves to understand that the Bible's teaching about what men and women are in relationship is not what uh, the culture is teaching. Mm-hmm. So when a, a, their kids have difficulties and they maintain are maintaining good relationships with their children, they can be there to instruct them and, and guide them in a different direction. But what about kids who are older, like say teenagers or kids when they're going off to college and they're going to be encountering someone like this? Uh, fold out I've got here of pronouns matter. What can we tell them? Well, I think uh, we need to learn from them. I mean, uh, I, I really benefit from my kids who are, um, uh, I have one um, son in high school, but my, I have four children. But mm-hmm. my other, uh, I have one, oh, my oldest son is married and I have uh second son who's just graduated from college and I have a, a daughter who's in college and I learn a lot from them as they uh, engage the culture uh, from a Christian standpoint and, and talk to me about what's what's been going on and, and what they have to address and um, I can help them but they're all also helping me um, so yeah I think I think that the the most important thing is to establish for people 
for for uh, kids that are older, uh, the scriptures inerrancy, mm-hmm. so that they are not blown about by every wind of doctrine, and they're able to say, okay, the Bible says this, and then help them, um, like you do with your apologetic approach, um, or what I was trying to do in the book Engendered, is explain why God has said what He said. Mm-hmm. That it's actually for our benefit. He doesn't tell us to do something unless it's it's very important for us and for for our goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that it's good for us. And so when they understand that and they can hold to the scripture as truth, then they're equipped to go off into college and be able to engage and be influencers rather than the influenced. Yeah, and I think we could add that ultimately that every man growing up needs to know there's something special about being a man, but you don't need to be ashamed of that. And likewise, for a woman, there's something special about being a woman. And then we can add in, as you said earlier, the Bible is not anti-sex. It is very pro-sex, just properly understood. Yes, very good point. And what I try to do in my ministry in affirming gender is to create a vision for a positive vision for for celebration of masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just a list of prohibitions of don't do this and don't do that. That uh, being a woman is is a f- fabulous gift to be made mm-hmm. in God's image, and in that way, and and to be able to glorify God. It's it's a wonderful thing to be. And mm-hmm. similarly, being a man, I'd like to create uh, for men what what they can actually accomplish in a relationship, that they can actually uh, change the world uh, by being men in relationship in, in ways they don't expect. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, is, it is very important to create a, um, a vision of celebration for our children in, in the gifts that God has given. Because gender is a gift. It's a fabulous gift. And it, it really, it, it, it touches such deep part of us when we are, have intergendered relationships, it does something in us that nothing else can do. Mm-hmm. So when our children understand that and experience it, uh, healthy intergendered relationships, then they're solid. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Yonde, it's been wonderful having you here. I know you've already said what it is, but do you have a blog, a website, or an email, how people get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Yeah, the, again, it's uh, firminggender.com. I'd invite your listeners to take a visit. And uh, again, that's firminggender.com. And uh, when you get on there, you can read some. And um, if you'd like to stay updated on the thinking in this area and how to understand these issues, there's a place on the bottom of the page, every page that you can easily subscribe and then you won't, uh, you'll get an email notification when there's a new post, so you won't miss out. So I'd invite uh, your readers to that option. Actually, let everyone know the book is Engendered, God's Gift of Gender Difference in Relationship. And friends, it's, it's an excellent book. It really is. I was looking forward to reading it every night here. The Kindle version is eight forty nine. The paperback is fifteen fifteen on Amazon right now. Now, uh, Dr. Andreatis, do you have uh, some uh, final words you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience? Well, I want to thank you again, Nick, for having me on. Mm-hmm. And, 
uh, you're you you have this unique style and, and the the questions that you think of and ask and uh, so mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would like to encourage your listeners, as just as we've been saying a, a moment ago, to realize that God gave us gender as a gift. It's mm-hmm. something He gave us to celebrate mm-hmm. and. When we do it, when we lean into our genders rather than minimizing them, it it creates intimacy that, and nothing else can do it except that, which is why he made us that way. Mm-hmm. It helps us understand not only ourselves better, it actually brings us into understanding God better because mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's being made in his image. Well, Dr. Andreadis, I'd like to thank you for your time and coming on here, and I really hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Okay, it's been a pleasure, Nick. I'd like to remind everyone better. next week we're going to have Tony Costa on talking about the resurrection. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off. <laughs> <laughs>